0: Hello and welcome, this is a new spin on Autism Answers, and I'm Lynette Louise, your Storyteller host. You know, here on Autism Answers, we take awareness a step further into conclusions. We kind of boldly go where no mom has gone before, (laughs) make up answers out of the evidence and the experiences, and the information that we're able to acquire. Actually, many moms have gone into the act of creating conclusions because otherwise they can't uh, make decisions and, and move forward in helping their children. But doctors and scientists are not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to just leap out there and go, okay, well, here's the answer, give it a try, and then say, oops. So that's the the province of us moms. We get to do that when I talk to you like that. I'm talking as a mom. All right. So this is Lynette Louise, your storyteller host and welcome. Today's theme is very exciting for me because it was a problem that I had when I was raising my one son. So I thought it was probably not just me and that we should talk about it and I call it don't romanticize the disorder. But before we get into that, I wanna kind of give you a sense of what's coming up. We have a wonderful guest. I always say wonderful. I'm gonna to have to look up a list of adjectives and you know say awesome and interesting because of course all my guests are all of these things. Um, today's guest is Annie Eskelson and she's an author and a stay-at-home mom. Annie is actually a great example of social networking because I was posting some comments and questions on my Facebook site And it was the things that she said that made me feel like, geez, I'd really like to have her on as a guest. So I'm really um, excited to move forward into that. And also, don't go away after Annie's interview because stories from the road. So hang in for the entire podcast. Um, As a means of setting up Annie, I would like to end today's theme don't romanticize the disorder i would like to uh, tell you a little something about when i was raising my son dar who i've talked about before low functioning autism you know actually he got the diagnosis of pdd way back in 84 um, i adopted him he you know he'd had a horrible past before i got him so his story was complicated and we really weren't sure what to expect from him and when he was he was mute and, and weird <laughs> very weird in our introduction to autism as a family. And so we really found ourselves sort of following the times and believing him to be a mystery, this kind of amazing Zen child who lived in a world of his own now this is the kind of language that we use when we talk about autism we say they live in a world of their own and that's a bit daunting that makes you feel as if or at least for me it made me feel as if i couldn't break into his world or i lived one place and he lived another and of course the um, the times didn't help back then uh you know the doctors spoke like that, uh, parents were blamed. I mean, it was, very, it was a very challenging time to be raising someone who was autistic, especially since there was really only about one in 10,000 children with it, so it was really rare. So here I am, I'm trying to figure out this child, we're all looking at him like he's in a world of his own. This movie called The Boy Who Could Fly, kind of our undoing. See, in The Boy Who Could Fly, He's autistic, and he can fly, literally fly. So <laughs> we start doing this thing, which is called magical thinking. As a family, we start looking at Dar and thinking, you know, maybe in the night he, he flies. We were watching him and thinking that he, he was someone so special. We didn't dare teach him. We didn't dare ask him to change. And that was a pitfall supported by society at the time. So you can imagine he uh, didn't learn much in those days. Uh, and he didn't fly, by the way, though we, we did all take turns waiting up at night to see if he would. So uh, I apologize for that, because that's the truth. And it's led me to wonder how many families out there do feel afraid to step into the child's world, especially since this lingo is still used and try to roll up your sleeves and just help them, just teach them. And that's where my guest comes in. I think she is a perfect example of that. And we're gonna get into that because some of her, well actually my favorite of her two books that are out uh, deals specifically with that. So we're gonna talk a little bit about education, about acceptance, and about what the heck reality is when you're dealing with children. That are on the spectrum and do we want to think of them as living in a world of their own or do we want to think of them as living in our world with some struggles? Okay, so this is Annie Eskelson and hello, Annie. Welcome to the show. Hey, Lynette. Thanks. So tell me, I want to start right in on you have these two wonderful books. You're a stay-at-home mom. Um, And the books are illustrated they're short they look like and read like children's books with a twist so you tell me do you see these as children's books adult books family books what would you call
1: these, Lynette I think my books are really for um, children adults and families they're uniquely written so that the children who read the books have a character to relate to and also beautiful illustrations to look at, especially my first book has got, you know, big eyes and things like that uh, to captivate a child's attention, but they also are purposely written to provide relating to the parent
0: and comfort for the parent and also self-discovery type tips. What I like is that Ashy's Gift, which is the name of one of your books, I assume the first, um, is really about acceptance of yourself, your situation, and who she is. My books are also told from the
1: autist point of view. It makes them less threatening that way. And how many times have you heard out of the mouth of babes <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Ashy's Gift? It is absolutely about a family going from, you know, moving from discouragement to discovering all of the wonderful things that
0: can be uh, attributed to going through a challenge as a family. Well, and I think you did it really well. Um, it's it's a, a wonderful story. It's a great beginning, but my favorite, I have to admit, is Ashy in a class all by by myself and I think it really fits today so I wanted to get into that a little bit so it looks as if you're a homeschooler why is that and tell me about it and to, also can you tell us a little about ashy yeah,
1: absolutely um, my husband and I always plan to homeschool our children Um this is our uh, family beliefs and our uh, values we're just uh not really so much into the public school system there's some uh, things are being taught that, that we, um, as a family, don't, you know, really want our children involved in. And so we had always planned to homeschool our children. When Ashley Megan was diagnosed with autism, we really realized how I mean, even so much better our decision to homeschool really was. And I talk about this in my book on the parents' page. That a classroom, the very best classroom in the world, can be the worst place for a child on the spectrum or with sensory issues. You know, they, many times they are too busy, they're too loud. Uh, even carpet, you know, can cause, you know, a child with sensory issues to, to stumble and fall or be clumsy because of patterns in the carpet. I mean, there's just so many dimensions to a classroom that are working against a child on a spectrum. And no matter what the class size, no teacher is going to adjust the classroom for one specific child. So um, when you homeschool, you have control over all of that. You can address each sensory issue. The other unfortunate thing about uh, elementary school is that it's very difficult to separate a child's behavior from their academic progress. Um, They kind of go hand in hand, unfortunately, and for a child on the spectrum, that just isn't going to work, and it's just not fair. You know, if a child's sensory issues are not being addressed, it is not a good environment for them to learn. So you may have a child, such as my daughter, who could read at the age of two, but cannot handle being in a classroom. She has too many sensory issues. Her behavior would land her smack in a resource room putting puzzles together instead of getting a first-class education she is a straight-A student and And, um, you know she's you know homeschooling allows us to do that
0: yeah you know I sometimes think that part of the reason that this whole concept of children living in a world by themselves is the sensory issue and that because they're dealing and coping with lights looking different or smells smelling different or clothing feeling different, that their behavior is been affected and we think, oh gosh, we're asking them to live in our world and they have like this bubble existence that we can't penetrate, when in truth, that's a sign of something that needs help and healing and some good, healthy, hard work, <laughs> not something to be backed away from, but at the same time, not forced.
1: Yes, exactly. And, um, homeschooling absolutely allows the parent to be in control of that floodgate. So you're not forcing anything. One example, um, like my little girl had terrible sensory issues and she still has some, but you know, they grow out of that, but they need, when, when they can grow out, out of it at their own pace, uh, it's a whole lot better for them. And I'll give you an example. Um, my daughter, was always the most antisocial person that you could ever, ever know. And as a parent, when you watch the little kids and they play together and have fun together, you know, it is a little disappointing and frustrating when you see your child who will not uh, socialize, has no interest in the little gymnastics, you know, tumbling classes or the little ballet or anything. Um, But uh, she, we never forced it on her and homeschooling allowed us to keep her from that, because it was very hard for her. She does not like people in her space, and she doesn't like things that are too loud. And so we were able to shelter her from that. Now as she grew, um, at the age of six, she really became, started coming out of her shell. And she started seeking out friendships. And now, at the age of seven and a half, she is a social butterfly. She seeks out friends, she can start and stop conversations, she can play pretend. Um, she actively seeks out people to play with. And so you see now she's, she's been allowed to do those things at her own pace. And I will also say she has only modeled proper adult behavior. And so she's polite, she has good grammar, um, she doesn't swear. Um, She has manners, so she's gentle. She's a very good friend. So you see there's so many benefits to homeschooling. I mean, I just can't – it's hard to stop and start (laughs) now. Well, personally, I
0: have to admit that personally, for me, um, my children did much better when I took them out of school. But I have seen many, many kids do better when they're put into school. So I'm going to pick at a couple of things. I love that you have rolled up your sleeves and said, "Wow, I'm just going to do this." But to, you know, just to set the record straight a little bit for some parents, sensory disorders come in a huge, huge, huge range and some kids grow out of some of them or all of them and some don't. And so it's important to know that it is a spectrum and sometimes there needs to be help given to heal those sensory issues and sometimes just time Um, and also homeschooling you know it's for me it was a godsend it changed everything but I've also seen parents who are so afraid of trying to teach their children or so versed in their own past of what it is to teach that they're too forceful so you know, it's really it's a one not a one shoe fits all. But if you can do it, I'm I'm totally on board. It it really changed my kids. So um, and I had four of them. So so I'm really on board with that. Annie, I'm not trying to diss anything you're saying. I just want to open it up for all the parents who have so many different flavors. Yeah,
1: it's home. I agree. It's not for everybody, and uh, it, you know, some family situations you know are not going to work with homeschooling. Um, That's for certain. But so it isn't always an option, but it's an option more often than people think. Um, uh, And, you know, it isn't going to work for everybody. But for that mom or dad or that family who has a gut intuition, a burning intuition that that's what they want to do, I'm telling you, no matter what your situation, if you want to do it, that's your gut intuition, you can, and you will reap the benefits.
0: Yes, I agree. It's amazing. I did it as a single mom in an RV with no money. <laughs> so, I mean, you can do it.
1: Okay, we're going
0: we're gonna yeah. to <laughs> do a quick uh, reintroduction here. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. And this is a place where we take evidence and ideas and we make conclusions and we go ahead and come up with answers. What the heck, why not? I'm speaking with Annie Eskelson. She's a author of two books. She's got a new one coming out. So I want to come back from this little reintroduction, Annie, with a question to you. Did you ever, way at the beginning of this journey, Did you ever question yourself and your ability to be the teacher? Or even if bigger than that, did you have the question, which I've heard a lot of parents reiterate, um, am I playing God? Is it my right to change this child or work with this child who's autistic?
1: Well, yeah, it's challenging, you know. Especially in the beginning, in my opinion, um, for us, the toddler in the preschool years, even the very early, early elementary years, and my daughter's not much older than that, but those were the most difficult. Um, I, you know, she is is my daughter, and so um, that came first. I knew in the hospital before we even took her home that there was something ultimately special about her, um, and of course, it wouldn't be till uh, she was about sixteen months where we got the diagnosis. But um, the diagnosis really was just for me to confirm my own suspicions and validate my own feelings, and then after that, we never looked back. Um, oh wait, I wait! I want,
0: told, I want, I want you to be specific because I'm so curious. Uh-huh. What was uh-huh. it? As a baby, that left you feeling like there was something different?
1: Okay, right away, uh, she now she would be held, that was fine with her, um, but it was when she wanted to be held, she nursed. Um, but even in the hospital, before we even took her home, the whole sensation was she had her own agenda, um, which was to nurse. And then sleep, which I realize that all newborns do this, but it was it was different from my other children, where you know they would kind of nurse and you know kind of take an interest, no matter how small it might be, um, they kind you know an interest in, in um, their surroundings or you. And I I mean I understand the minuteness of it as a newborn. But as a mom you catch these nuances.
0: Yeah, no, um, I get it. Like just self satisfying as opposed to showing a curiosity of any kind.
1: Yeah, and with Ashley Megan it was I'm hungry, I'm gonna eat and then I'm going back to sleep. She would she was done with me. Okay. Um, and I thought I thought, well, you know, that's strange. <laughs> you know and she continued to do it she of course was a very good baby you know i have to wake her up to feed her you know she sleeps five hours at a time i'd have to wake her up every five hours to eat you know very good baby but you know she was already in her own little you know she's in her own little universe right as a as a newborn and i could feel that as you know, as a mom, I, it was just different. Um, and then of course, so there there
0: it is. Yeah. So there it is again, when we experience, um, our autistic children, uh, we end up with that kind of verbiage where we say stuff like living in their own world in their own universe. Um, yeah, it was just, it just kind
1: of felt like that. And, you know, as time went on, you know, we were missing some milestones as I, you know, would meet with professionals, you know, they kind of tended to want to focus on the things she wasn't doing instead of the things that she was doing. And that kind of set some flags up for me. Yeah. For um,
0: me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that would put up some big flags.
1: <laughs> right. Because she was missing some milestones, but there were some neat things that she was doing, which was... um You know, kind of incredible. And I think the final, the the straw that broke the camel's back for me was, um, I think, meeting with people who, you know, call themselves therapists and whatnot, who told me that she would never, you know, write, she would never speak, she would never fit in. Um, She could read at the age of two, which they told me I was crazy, which I was not. She's hyperlexic, and she was reading at the age of two. And at that point is the time that I turned my back and threw out their garbage and everything and turn my back and just said, you know, we're, we're going to go this on our own, you know, because they just, you know, they were yes. not describing my daughter. Okay. And I do want to empower moms. You know, you have that gut feeling, you have that intuition. Um, it's just my opinion that professional therapists and the, you know, government therapies are starting to exploit or have been exploiting autism, which many of these therapies are common sense and can be done in any home with any mom who knows how to read.
0: Oh, I, yes, 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 yay, yahoo. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and I think it is an issue that really needs to be talked about, you know. Ultimately, I do too. it needs to come out of the woodwork.
0: I do too. I want to uh, just back up. You called her hyperlexic, just for people who don't know the term hyperlexia. Children who are really gifted in um, math or reading that have mm-hmm. symptoms of autism, but they have these strong gifts in this area, and you can often really, really help these children by focusing uh, on what exactly what Annie just said. You focus on what they have, the skills and talents that they have, and you build up from there. But then that's what you always do. It's just more obvious with hyperlexic kids what the skills and talents are. So I am. I wanted to know what it is about you so you're clearly different as a mom in the sense that you didn't just let yourself fall apart and and overwhelm although i I think there's a piece of that that happens in the book so i know you did it at some point Uh,
1: that was actually really hard to do (laughs) um (laughs) you know because i i didn't spend a lot of time being upset um you know i got what i needed i got my feelings validated and we moved on but when I wrote the book Ashley's gift I had to go back and visit those old feelings that I had and that was really hard to do to remember that there was a time that I felt discouraged and sad and you know I felt like my dreams were shattering you know yeah. and it was really hard to write that in the book because I felt like it makes me vulnerable but I felt like I needed to make a connection with parents and validate their feelings, you
0: know. So, Annie, I, where, I, where do your motivators come from here to, to be so motivated, not only to go, wow, I can help my child. I'm going to bring her home. I'm not going to fall apart. I'm going to find the the value in her and, you know, and go from there. And then take that the next step and say, not only that, but I'm going to now help parents uh, at least have an opportunity to do the same. What makes you like that?
1: Well, I have a great faith in God. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I have a tremendous faith in God. And I also have a wonderful husband. We are a very strong, knit-tight family. You know, we rearranged our lives um we realized that one of us was going to have to stay home with Ashley and I did that and I absolutely let the world pass me by I crawled inside that magical world that you talk about my daughter let me in to that world because I I didn't have I I I decided I don't have anything else to do that is what I'm going to do I'm going to get inside her world if she'll let me and she did and what I found was this amazing, fascinating, brilliant little mind, little person um, who is just like everybody else, just like all my other kids, you know, and, and different, just like all my other kids are different. And her and I, then she, it's like she trusted me enough that she would allow me to bring her back out to my world in little baby steps.
0: Very cool. And,
1: I almost see autism in our children as a desperate plea. You know, does that make any sense?
0: Oh, yeah. Actually, I take it a step further, Annie, and I think autism was put here in these huge numbers so that we'd start paying attention to our own homes and our own backyards and doing mm-hmm. the housekeeping that has to be done and start healing in one little group at a time and before you know it there's no room or time for wars cuz we're just too friggin' busy helping our autistic kids and they Why? have a, and then there's this their world our world thing we're forced to kind of go okay what is it to be in some other culture and some other world and some other viewpoint and some other perspective without judgment. I think they're the best gift on the planet right now going. So I see them as a wonderful opportunity for enormous paradigm shifting and change. So I I agree with you plus plus. Um, But (laughs) I want to get to your your new book because I don't want us to say goodbye without you having a chance to talk about what's coming up. So tell us about it. Um,
1: okay, I have a new book coming out. It should be out around Thanksgiving time, and it is called "Ashley's Birthday and Other Dreaded Days."
0: Oh, I love and, that. <laughs>
1: well, we all know how the holidays, you know, with you know our children, whether they you know have sensory issues or you know on the spectrum or whatever they can be so difficult and we generally think about them you know how hard they are for us and you know things don't go as their plan and then you have the older generation who is into their traditions and they want to you know, pass them
0: on. And grandma and grandpa can get frustrated too, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I have to, let me interject just for one second. I just want to share something of my own here for a second. So um, my son, one of my sons, one of my many autistic kids, um, his teacher calls me, he's like nine or something. And she calls and she says, you know, what's up with him? And I said, well, he has six weeks before every holiday and six weeks after every holiday where he falls apart and she goes oh i see and she hangs up and i think think to myself and if you do the math that leaves about 5 days of <laughs> 5 days of not falling apart
1: so uh so that is the book coming up and and i have lots you know, of moms who are very excited it it's yeah, going to no, be like I've... the other book a good book to hand to a friend or family member who doesn't get it
0: that's a beautiful point to make from the child's perspective because that was the reason that my son had the six weeks before the holiday was his feeling of it coming up. And then the after the holiday was the food and the sensory and all the things that happened to, at the holiday and from the stress he built up on his way to it. So the, if, if people can understand that foreshadowing, maybe some of the after effect will be um, assisted. Sometimes
1: that just means you might have to
0: stay home. It's yeah, good. you know, I, I I think sometimes that um, people are so busy. Again, this is what I was talking about a little bit about coming from your past, your own childhood. They're so busy trying to recreate what they thought was good for them without mm. recognizing, you know, just because it was good for you to gather in this social group and, and do these things. Does not translate that that's the right way to do it for your child, and that's very much like in school saying, "Well, they they need to develop a, a social, you know, they're socially backward, so let's throw them in with a bunch of children so that they can get their social skills." And I'm like, "You're you don't they don't have the social skills, so they're not going to get them from being thrown in the mix." And Annie, if that's the challenge, first, you ha- obviously, then they need to be taught it. They're not getting it naturally. So let's teach it first, then give them the opportunity to be social. And then, you know, when they fail, teach to that. We're running out of time. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having so much fun. I want to give you an opportunity right now to um, to share your website, to share your blog information, <laughs> Whatever you want to yeah. do right now. Uh, my website
1: is uh, authorannie.com. Uh, it's just author, the word authorannie.com. And my books are available at like amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, booksamillion.com, all of those. But I always have the best price on my website. wherever is the lowest price, I, I have that on my website. So authorannie.com. Is the best place to find those. And my blog is um, Ashie's Gift. It's A S H I S with no apostrophe. And then Gift, G I F T, dot com at
0: blogspot dot com. Thank you so much for coming um, and chatting. I'm going to continue on, and you're welcome to say goodbye to everyone and hang up or or hang in there. And, uh, folks, as always, I'll also have this information of Annie's on the the site. All right, Annie, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Um, okay, so that was Annie Eskelson. I've read the book Ashy's Gift. I've read the book Ashy in a Class all by myself, and I'm looking forward to her third book due out on Thanksgiving. It's, uh, it's going to be exciting.
1: Okay, and
0: next stories from the road. Um, I have to uh, begin this by apologizing to everybody. I call this Section Stories from the Road because I travel all over the world and I work in people's homes. But I haven't been telling you where the stories are from. So far, I've told you stories from India, France, Italy. You've, you didn't even know it. So today's story is a Florida family. It's a really interesting story. Um, it's about a little boy that I call the boy in a bubble, because when I met him, the family sort of saw him as living in this world of his own. Um, they, they looked at him as, you know, autistic and special and, and here to give us gifts. And they were willing to do many of the supplement type of things to help him. They cared very much about germs and and keeping his environment clean. So he was in in this hyper-clean environment in his room. And people would come in in a hyper-clean way to to his room. And this is is a therapy that exists um, in various places. Uh, So that was his life. He lived in the hyper-clean room. And that's why I call him the boy in the bubble. He's only five years old and completely mute and very good at zenning, at just sitting and zenning and looking at his fingers. And I remember, you know, when I first walked in thinking, okay, first of all, he's so cute, it's unbearably cute, um, which is common, but also wondering why Everyone was so afraid to ask anything of him. It seemed that every time I addressed him with any kind of invitation to play or try or attempt to learn, um, everybody got stressed. And I could, their stress was so big, I could feel it through the two-way mirror. So I, you know, played with them for a while, and I, I go out and I talk to the family. And I discover that they believe that if he's just kept in this environment and just accepted and joined, and everybody does the exact same thing as he does, that he will pop out of this world, like, boop, and into theirs. And I get it. I told you what happened with me with my son. I mean, we were thinking he was flying, for goodness sakes. I mean, when something looks mysterious and different and curious, and and it just doesn't seem that you can understand it, we go to mystery. We make up ghosts. We make up all kinds of things. But it wasn't helping him. And he wasn't booping out of his egg. So I talked to them, and I was explaining that parents, teach and I think this is what Annie was talking about parents teach whether you're a parent of a an autistic person or I love the term autist that's Annie's use uh, other people use it but she uses it um, all the time Um, whether you're the parent of an autist or whether you're the parents of a regular kid your job is to teach and if somebody is unable to reach out and try it doesn't mean that they're in an egg of some other universe it means they don't know how to reach out and try so yes accept them don't ask them to not be who they are but ask them to learn so the, the good news on this little boy is he was so young i was able to add neurofeedback to the approach um, help the family believe in, you know, encouraging and teaching and joining all at the same time. And he's neurotypical. It only took uh, about a year and a half, and he's just one of the lucky ones. So all he needed was a little nudge and somebody to say, "Yes, I see that you live in in this uh, in this different way, but you still live in our world." I want you in our reality so I can hug you and love you and play with you and hear your beautiful voice. So today's answer is, you're a parent. Roll up your sleeves. Teach. It's okay. It really is. It's not a different world. It's just a different way. Next show is Mountains of Mercury. And I'm really looking forward to that one. Should stir up a little stuff on that one. So thanks for joining me today. Without you, I'd just be talking to myself. I'm Lynette Louise, your story myself. teacher host, in and this circles is the new talking spin-off. to myself. In and talking to myself I can't hear.